Last week, we began our study of Paul's letter to the Romans. It was all background stuff. This week, we begin the plunge into the actual words of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles or on your phone to the book of Romans chapter 1. I will be reading Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word to our hearts and to our souls. I want to be heard when I go soft, okay? Chris, I'm not sure it's coming through. Father, thank you for your goodness. The goodness of your gift of the Apostle Paul to the church. We need your presence in order to appropriately respond with hearing to what is here. And I need your help to accurately just re-say and explicate, expound upon what is actually here to the glory of your name. We ask that you do it. Amen. So in this First few words of opening up this letter to the Romans. What Paul means to say here is basically, Dear Christians in Rome. But the standard way to do that in the first century is to first, when you address people in a letter, you say who you are that is writing it. Then you say to whom you're writing. And then you pronounce a blessing, like grace and peace. And so what Paul means to do here in this salutation, in this greeting section, in this, this opening, is to essentially say, I am Paul, writing to you Christians in Rome, grace and peace to you. But Paul just can't keep it that simple. He respects his fellow Christians too much. He believes true lovers of Jesus, not only by definition that they actually love Jesus, can handle depth, but they want depth. This greeting section here of Paul is therefore chock full of theological complexity. This greeting section itself, before he gets to the body of the letter, consists of these topics. Apostolic authority. The Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures promised and preached the gospel of God's Son who would come and reign as King and Messiah forever. 
And that this gospel message is to go to the Jews first, and then to the non-Jews all around the world. And as that gospel goes, and people believe it, it will produce people who are obedient to God. It flows out of their faith. And the doctrine that all of that is foundationally for the pinnacle of glorifying Jesus' name. All of that is right there just in the opening greeting section. Wouldn't it be a shame if Paul thought that his readers or we were the kind of Christians who say and live out, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't get into all that theological Stuff. I'm just more interested in give me a few keys on how to get along in life a little better through my marriage a little better my finances. Yes, throw Jesus in there so we sanctify it and make it, you know, we Christianize it. That's what I want. Thank goodness he didn't cater to that. And in the first century, and Paul talks about this in his letters, there were preachers who did cater to that. And so of all of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament, right here, this is easily his longest opening section, salutation, greeting section of all the letters. And last week... We saw why this was needed. Of all of Paul's letters that we have, they're all written, other than the ones to Timothy and Titus and Philemon, to persons. They're all written to churches that he himself planted or one of his associates did, like Epaphras with Colossae. So he's never met these Christians. They've never heard him preach. They've never heard his voice. They've never seen his face, but they've heard about him. And they've heard... Some things about him and about what he taught that are untrue. And so we saw that what Paul wants to do, and that's why in this greeting section, it, he doesn't wait. He lays his cards on the table about the gospel that he preaches so that when he eventually gets to Rome, which is his intention, this will be straightened out. They'll understand what his message is is and they will joyfully reach deep into their pockets to support his ministry to go to Spain way out far west. Okay, so let's look now at the opening section. Just briefly, I, I, I intended on, through Monday and into Tuesday morning and by and Tuesday afternoon to just have one sermon on the salutation. But by Tuesday, I realized that's eh, not going to happen, so it's too much. So we're only going to go through verse 4 this morning. Let's begin with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul here describes himself in three ways. A servant of Christ. Called to be an apostle. And set apart for the gospel of God. If somebody said that today about himself in the way that Paul means that he would be a cult dealer and a liar. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Greek word doulos, a doulos, slave. But what Paul is really doing here, he, he's deliberately taking the, this title from the Old Testament where, where the term servant of the Lord was an office of such 
revelatory, speaking on behalf of God, revelatory mouthpieces like Moses, Abraham, Joshua, David, and the prophets. And so before Paul even mentions, which he's going to do next, this authoritative office of apostle, he makes it clear that he did not grasp at this or aspire to this position. But he is a slave. He's a doulos. The authority that he is referring to here is totally derived from his master, his owner. He's been bought with a price. He's a slave of Christ, which he goes on to confirm with the very next word. Called. Called. He doesn't do it. When he says this, he means not that I called out to the taxi. Taxi! And got in. He means he's doing something else and the taxi pulls up and the driver says, Paul, get in. I have a task particularly made for you. That's what he is saying. Let's be clear about this. Paul does not say, I was asked to be an apostle. But Jesus called me to this office. He set me apart for the gospel of God. I am but a pawn in his created order, a persecutor of his church, sinful. But because of his wisdom and plan and grace before the creation of the universe, he showed that grace upon me and plucked me out and set me apart for this task. Notice how he says this in verse 5. Through whom we received grace and apostleship in order to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. So here's Paul saying, Paul, I am an apostle. I've been called by another to this office. That's his claim. But you know, I remember when I read Luke's gospel, Jesus' earthly life before the cross. I remember Luke telling us one night Jesus never slept. He stayed up all night long praying in order to do what he's going to do the next day. Out of hundreds of disciples, then, he chose 12 men to be not just disciples, but his apostles. His personal, that's what the word means, sent ones. He will send them out with a special task. And Jesus' apostles are those who are taught by Jesus directly. And this is still before the cross, and he lets them know, and it happens after. They will be those who will be eyewitnesses of his resurrection from the dead. But there's more than 12 that that happened to. It's more than 500 people have witnessed him in his resurrection. So there's this other one because he has called them personally as their apostle. And thus they will be his mouthpieces equal to Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, 
As Jesus said to those chosen apostles at the Last Supper. And these words are directly to them, and he means it specifically to these guys. When he says in John 14, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Peter, John, Matthew, Philip, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Apostles. But Paul was not one of them. He was not there. In fact, after Jesus' resurrection appearances over a period of six weeks, it was only then that Paul became a violent persecutor of Jesus' people. A couple decades later, you open up this letter to the Romans. And he calls himself an apostle? Yes, he does. And he does because Jesus made him his personal apostle. So let, let's sit on that. What is this apostleship? What is this thing? What is it to be Jesus's? Not, not sent out from some church, but to send out from the resurrected Jesus is his representative, his sent out ones. There are two requirements as you look at the New Testament that, that is true of all these apostles. And that is, first, they have been encountered by the resurrected Jesus. So first, this office does not exist today. I know people call themselves apostles and they might mean it in a different way, but what, what we're talking about here, what Paul means, this was only in the first century for the foundation and building that foundation of the church. And so they have been encountered by the resurrected Jesus, but not just that, more people than the apostles had that experience. But also in Jesus' resurrection, he personally appoints him, him, him is his apostle. Like sitting on the beach in the Sea of Galilee, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Where do I get that from? So here, here we go. Just follow. We're going to read or listen to the Bible here. We heard earlier with the reading of Scripture of Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. Okay. A couple decades later, He's before King Agrippa, and he retells this happening in his life in the courtroom, saying this from Acts 26. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. That's why... Paul in all his letters refers to himself 
as an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's why he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Or in 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter about Jesus' appearances to even over 500. Yes, and He appeared to the 12 apostles. And He appeared to His brother James. And then He says, and last of all, as to one untimely born. Yeah, you, you think? He didn't hang out with Jesus at all in His earthly ministry. He would not show up in the chosen unless they continue on after the resurrection. I, who knows what they might do with that? Maybe he might show up. I don't know. Last of all is to one untimely born. Yes, he knows his situation is weird. But as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he's one. And this is how he writes to the Christians in, in Ephesus. In chapter 2, he tells them, and this is the important part of the apostles, they are revelatory spokespersons. They're not me. I have I have. To be faithful means for me to represent what God has given us written in the pages of the Bible. The prophets and the apostles teaching. That's why we plunge into a book like Romans. Paul said it this way to the Ephesians. You are fellow citizens with the saints, you Gentile, non-Jews. And you're members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles. And that's what he's saying when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2. Again, this is not a general statement in its context. As Paul saying, this is all of us Christians because we're born again and have the Spirit. That's not his point here. His point here, I as an apostle and we as apostles... This is how God's doing it when He writes to them. Now we, apostles, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Then the next step. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit we open Romans we have the word of the Spirit and it came with authority listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians at the end of that letter he says to them I warned those who sinned before and all others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. Okay. Encountered by the glorified, resurrected Jesus and personally commissioned by Him. So now, just hold that in your hopper now. When then, later, Paul's apostolic authority was being challenged by false Christian teachers who were infiltrating his churches in the region of Galatia. Listen now to Paul's defense. Listen to his argument for his authenticity from Galatians chapter 1. He says, Paul, 
an apostle. Now he knows, that again, he just has to stop and clarify because of the context. Because these false Jewish Christians are coming to his churches and saying, Paul gave you a lot of good stuff and the resurrection of Christ and faith in him and all that is true, but he left some things out. After all, I mean, he's not an apostle. He, he's a Johnny-come-lately who later on, you know, sat around the apostles in Jerusalem and learned some things after his conversion, but he didn't get it all correct. So his opening of the letter, Paul an apostle. Stop. Not from men. Nor through man or the agency of man. But an apostle through Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him from the dead. And he goes on. For I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel that was given to me from men. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by them, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning, Jesus appeared to me again. And again, revealed to me. He goes on. See, when He who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by His grace, when He was pleased to reveal His Son to me in His resurrection, in order that I might proclaim Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me and talk to them, get taught by them. I went away to Arabia and I returned once more to Damascus. That's his argument. Again, notice the way he said that in verse 15, Galatians 1. But when he who had set me apart, before I was born or from my mother's womb. He's doing that purposefully. That's Jeremiah and Isaiah language. Prophet language. He set me apart. And who called me by his grace. And so we go back to Romans 1.1. Paul called to be an apostle. Set apart, prophetic language, for the gospel of God. And so, 14 years after his Damascus Road experience, he does go up to Jerusalem to meet with some apostles. And he then says to the Galatians, let me tell you about that meeting. And he says this. Those, I say, who seemed influential. He's referring here to the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee. We get the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation from him. And he's referring to Peter. Peter, everyone knows Peter. And he's referring to Jesus' brother, James. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the non-Jews, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the Jews. And so, when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. In other words, Paul says, they have received me, they are convinced, they know their Lord Jesus called me. Later, yes, but to be 
one of them. And not only that, that he called me specifically with the goods that he taught me. Jesus taught me, Paul, on how this gospel goes from the Jews out to the world to non-Jews. So, I ask, do you need a reason to devour to ponder, to think along with Paul's thoughts that he wrote through this book of Romans. That's the reason. He's a mouthpiece of God. An apostle carried along by the Holy Spirit in his unpacking, unfolding, the gospel. It's right there in our text. Look at it. Paul is set apart as an apostle in order to reveal or explain the gospel. Let's read it again. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, Paul could have stopped right there with the words, the gospel of God, but he didn't. Right here, just in the opening section, he begins to unpack that gospel of God. And he says, this is the good news. This is the gospel that was promised throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. He says, I've been set apart for the, the Greek word, euangelion, meaning set up, which means the proclaiming of good news. I've been set apart for the proclaiming of the good news. And that news, that message called the gospel isn't his. It's God's. It's the gospel of God. He's not only the source, He's the content. It's the gospel from God and it is about God. And it is, in the coming of Jesus, about what the Scriptures, the Old Testament, promised concerning God's Son. We don't have time to sit here and for hours upon hours and reading all that. I'm just going to give you one example 700 years before Christ comes, we hear these promises from the prophet Isaiah. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion or Jerusalem, herald of good news. Okay, just in the Hebrew, when the Hebrew was translated into Greek 200 years before Jesus is born, it's called the Septuagint. What word do you think is used there in Greek? Euangelion, the gospel. Herald the gospel. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news. The gospel of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Behold, my servant, Jesus shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus comes and he fulfills the Old Testament promises. It is the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through the prophets. Well, I'm not there. They're not alive anymore. He means 
what they left us written through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Never think that Paul's gospel is contrary to the Old Testament. He says it fulfills the Old Testament that he promised. And it's been written. We call it the Old Testament. God's good news then that he's referring to that was promised. God's good news that he has for us is, he lets us know here now, right in the opening, it is the news of his son. Of his pre-existent son. Who, subsequently to that, became the son of David. Those words there, according to the flesh, it refers to the Son. God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, taking to His person a human nature, according to the flesh. Let's read. Verses 3 and 4 again, slowly. It's the gospel concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared, or maybe better translated, appointed. To be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Read it carefully and notice how He says this. It is about the Son, God's Son, before He says the following two things about Him, that He descended from David, and then He was declared the Son of God at His human resurrection from the dead. His point is, he was God's son eternally before those events. Just, just, just to make, are we really in line with Paul's thinking here? Just flip over to chapter 8 of Romans verse 3 for a second so that we're clear about what Paul thinks. When Paul says there, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Here it is. How? By sending his own son. Well, if he doesn't exist, you can't send him. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. And just one more, a paragraph later there. Romans 9, verse 5. He can't be more clear. And from their race, referring to Israel, the Jews, his, his own people, Paul writes, according to the flesh is the Christ. Yes, David's son. Is the Christ who is God overall. Blessed forever. This is foundational. For Paul, of what Christianity is claiming. God's eternal Son fulfilled the Old Testament promises that the Anointed One, the Messiah, would come in the fleshly, physical line of King David. 
The one true God. The Son is always true God. And now, also true man. That very Messiah, in Greek it comes out Christos, Christ. That very Christ who, who died was the son of David, resurrected to new, glorified humanity when he was installed as king, being declared God's son by virtue of his resurrection from the dead to immortal human life. In other words, the one who is without beginning, who is God, who existed as the Son to the Father, is the one who was then appointed the Son of God in power as the Son of David. It's what he's saying when he tells his apostles before his ascension. I, like you, a human being, resurrected all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Paul's point. This is the foundation of everything he will write through the rest of Romans. This is the foundation of his gospel. Do you remember how Paul said this same thing in different words in Philippians 2? Flip over to Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, Paul said, Christ Jesus, this is who he's talking about, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, morphe, nature of God, he did not count equality with God. He is always equal with God because He is God. He didn't count that equality of God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? He explains what it means. It wasn't a hindrance to His obedience to the Father to become a human being. It didn't prevent Him from doing that is what He says. Watch, that's, a, that's why the word but. No, but... He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human nature form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Should pause for a second. That's what Paul's saying. That's the Davidic king, David's son. He was descended from David according to the flesh. Then, notice, keep reading the next word. Therefore, meaning what comes now is because of what we just read. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Okay. If it's true that Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal God, the second person, how can he possibly be exalted more? Well, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Eternal God, 
humbled himself and became, took to himself a true human nature. And in that true human nature is what is exalted because the very person who is that human being is God. I'm so, let's, let's, Joe, just, just read it to the people. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There's only one name that is above every name. It's not Jesus. It's Yahweh. It's the four letters in the Hebrew Old Testament. Moses, I am who I am. You tell them that's who I am. My name is and if you put vowels in there, it comes out something like Yahweh used thousands of times God's personal name. He bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, that's His human identity. Joseph, name Him Jesus. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus, the Messiah, is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. The Son reigned with the Father from all eternity. And then as a result of His incarnation, and his atoning death on the cross, he was officially declared at his resurrection to be the Son of God. As the one who is now both God and man, reigning in power. And if you mess that up, you don't have the gospel. You don't have Christianity. And if you hear that said clearly by any Christian or preacher, or read it clearly from Paul or Peter or Jesus, you, and you, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but you reject that, you are not yet saved or forgiven of your sins. Our Lord Jesus became one of us, a mortal Man, just like us in every way, except for he had no sin nature and never sinned. He did this in order to die as the punishment for our sins. And he has, as a result of that, been resurrected. Now, look at one last phrase and we're going to close. According to the Spirit of holiness. Okay, just no time to explain, but I take that to mean, I think I'm correct. That's the Holy Spirit. Not some separate spirit of Jesus that was holy. Okay, that's one argument that people, I don't think that's what it meant. It's a whole, according to the Holy Spirit. So in other words, what he means is this. The old age of the mere death-doomed mortal flesh, and now particularly of Jesus' earthly human life, it has been left behind. And the new age of the Spirit, the resurrected body, the eternal age has dawned. It has been inaugurated with His resurrection and ascension. The man Christ Jesus is reigning now with all power. And all of this shows up in Paul's salutation. This is foundational for his gospel. It's foundational for our salvation, which will 
one day culminate with our resurrected Lord Jesus, Son of David, returning and raising all who were his from mortality to immortal bodily resurrection forever, just like his. And it is this that leads the Apostle Paul to later say here in the book of Romans in chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Yahweh, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Paul was set apart for. And the message to every human being is ignore this message at your peril. Believe it for your eternal joy. Let's pray. Father, we did not have time to even finish the work of the Holy Spirit carrying Paul along even as he wrote the introduction of who he is and to whom he's writing. But we know what he will say to you who are called. If there are any here who have not yet been called, call them for us who have. Thank you. To the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us stand.